Hello, and welcome to IAOP's podcast series, PulseCast, where we explore topics big and small in a world of collaborative partnerships. Thank you for joining us, and now the host of PulseCast. Hi, I'm Amanda Saptar, and welcome to this edition of IAOP's PulseCast. Today, we'll be listening to a keynote session from OWS 2.0 titled, Doing Well by Doing Good, The Future of Impact Sourcing. Let's listen in as John Browning, CEO, Global Mentorship Initiative, leads a panel of experts, including speakers from Harambe Youth Employment Accelerator and Intuit. Enjoy. Good morning. I am delighted to be here today and to introduce uh, our panel who has helped to blaze the trail for impact sourcing in both buyer and supplier roles. And so I'm gonna ask the panel to come up now. Stacy Herring is the VP at Intuit, responsible for the expert network services. So come on up, Stacy. Mariana Iskander is the CEO of Harambe in South Africa. And we're so glad again to have such a large South African delegation. We're gonna hear more about that today. So come on up, Mariana. Dan Lang is an SVP with Sutherland and who has been on the forefront of impact sourcing since its inception and also with the company since its beginning. Dan, come on up. And joining us from the World Bank is Namita Datta. She's the program head for Solutions for Youth Employment. So Namita, please come on up as well. All, all of our panelists have been involved in impact sourcing in a large-scale way. And uh, so we're going to speak for just a few minutes, and each one is going to talk about what they're doing with impact sourcing uh, and solutions for youth employment. We'll have a few questions that we're going to ask in the panel, but we want you to be thinking about questions that you have for each of them as well after they give their presentations. All right. So... Impact sourcing is a simple concept. It's about creating sustainable jobs in underserved communities where there's high unemployment. And this is achieved when we intentionally hire workers from these areas and we provide them the training needed to be successful. Impact sourcing is not just about hiring people in developing countries. It's also about creating good jobs right here in the United States and bringing these jobs to communities where it will make a real difference. Now you can read more about impact sourcing from the brochures that are on your table that talk about how it's being employed in South Africa right now. In fact, there is a strong business case for hiring impact workers, and you'll hear more about this from our panelists today. But before we do that, uh, I wanna say a little bit about the new Champions Index. I've, I've been so impressed with Debbie and how the IAOP team has embraced impact sourcing as a way to focus our industry on being socially responsible. And those of you that know Debbie and her team know that this is coming from the heart. And this week, IAOP is announcing this new initiative to spotlight companies who are at the forefront of impact sourcing. And yesterday, Debbie announced the creation of the Impact Sourcing Champions Index. In summary, we want to recognize companies that have distinguished themselves as leading the way in impact sourcing. And IAOP is creating and publishing an index of these companies that are doing just that. 
Now this officially rolls out on April 1st, and if you and your company practice impact sourcing, we want you to nominate your company to be in this inaugural directory. So you can check your IAOP backpack with a card in there with more information on this, uh, and look for additional announcements on this very soon. So without uh, further ado, Stacy, why don't you tell us a little bit about what uh, Intuit is doing with impact sourcing? Thanks, John. And thank you uh, for having us here. It's, it's an awesome honor to be able to come to you this morning and tell you about some work that we're so proud of. Um, so I will take the clicker. Yes. All right, thank you. Um, so I'm Stacy Herring. I lead our Intuit expert network. And um, you may know Intuit best from some of our cornerstone brands, Mint, QuickBooks, and especially this time of year, TurboTax. And uh, you may not know, though, uh, what our corporate mission is, but it is powering prosperity around the world. And certainly impact sourcing is just one way that we do that. And one of the ways that we do it is through a strategy we call prosperity hubs. And that's what I'm going to be talking to you about a little bit this morning. Um, this is where we work with communities and community leaders. We know and you know there's people hurting. There's communities that feel left behind by the modern economy. Um, but we can do something about that with impact sourcing. And so we partner with these communities. Primarily, this has been communities on the distressed community index. So um, for factors like unemployment rates, poverty rates. And then we also partner with our outsourcing partners, and they have been fantastic along this journey with us over the last few years since this started. Um, and just to see the energy that they have, the ideas that they bring, they are very much of the same uh, mind and heart uh, for this work that we are. And together, we have brought 1,500 jobs to these distressed communities in, in five communities. This is um, five in the United States, kind of to John's point, and one in Canada. We're going global. Um, we're just starting, uh, and we're really just getting started. So that 1,500 jobs over the last three years, um, one of the great things about that is we're also supporters of diversity and inclusion, and 56% of those jobs are filled by women. Um, in the next, yeah, applaud, that's awesome, yeah, thank you. We're proud of that too. Um, and so that's what we've created over the last three years. In the next one year, we're gonna be creating another 1,500 jobs, so for the total of 3,000. So you can see the strategy for us is really accelerating, which is super exciting. But it's not just about the job creation. Um, there's two other parts to the strategy that really make this economic flywheel go for this, these communities. Um, and the other part is creating a prosperity ladder. So that is, you know, they might start as customer service uh, experts, product experts is what we call them. Um, but we're creating that career path for them to have long-term professional careers as well. And we have programs, um, you know, they can certainly rise through the ranks of our partners. And you'll see an example of that in a video I'll show. Uh, but you also, they can work for Intuit and become certified bookkeepers or credentialed tax experts certified by the IRS. And we have some of those programs in place already. Uh, and then the last part of the strategy is also educating and empowering small businesses in the community. So it's not just for the experts, but really for the community at large. 
Um, we know that we can bring some Silicon Valley innovation technique, that we can bring some training, we can bring entrepreneurship, mentorship of small businesses, and we're starting to have those interactions in the communities as well. And it's all to get that flywheel going. And so how are we doing? Um, from a community perspective, for every $1, and you can see this on the far right, um, for every $1 that Intuit has invested, $1.59 in economic impact has been created. Now, we'd love to see that be $3, $5, who knows? Um, but the fact that it's already starting to work so early in our tenure with this strategy is excellent to see. And I'll give you some examples of how this happens. I was recently touring one of our sites, and um, they were walking me through, and they're like, oh, yeah, the electric, that was done by a local person, and the woodwork, that was done by a local person, and the screens, um, the, the shirts that they were printed, that was by a local person. The photography on the walls, that's by a local person. Um, we, have one, we had one food truck to augment our cafeteria when it started, and as we've grown, there's now more than a dozen. And by the way, the hospital across the street then noticed all the food trucks over here, and so they started sending their people here, and so then they called us up and said, how about we get those food trucks on rotation around the community? Awesome, yes, that's the prosperity that we want to empower. That's the flywheel that we want to have going through the network effect. So it's great for communities. Um, how is it for the experts? You know, it's been heartbreaking, really, to talk to some of the families who have said their community used to have big exports like um, coal or textiles or what have you. And now they say the biggest export is their children. They just don't have opportunities to keep their kids that have been, you know, generations and generations of families in the community to keep their kids there. Well, now we're trying to do something about that. And you can see it in the retention rates. Um, we have much higher retention in uh, these sites than, than we do at our expert network at large. And there's a lot of talent in these communities that just haven't had the opportunity to shine. Um, we measure speed to proficiency, how quickly they can become proficient at the job, and they're two times faster. And so that's really great. And when the customers of ours are talking to competent people, uh, they're happy customers. And so that has a real business benefit for us. This is a legitimate business model and not a charity. And I want to say that again. We are seeing business success, business model success with this model, um, both in enhanced customer experiences, and that translates to conversion, which is one of our core business metrics. So really exciting to see. And I think, um, you know, I can talk about it, but it's better for you to see it. So let's roll the video, please. I've always known that I've liked helping people. but I didn't exactly know how to go about it. When the recession came through here, there weren't really a lot of options around. I could either work in a service industry or you could try to get a job in the mines. My grandfather was a coal miner and there's this misconception that that's what you have to do if you're from here. But when Intuit came in to the community, it opened up all these jobs. At this job, I train new hires. Your guys' role is to make sure they're having the best experience with Intuit. We've got close to a thousand people that work here. 
which when you've got a county as small as ours, it seems like everyone works here. It's nice to be able to know what I'm doing is making a difference. Those one-to-one interactions that I have every single day, that's a huge piece of it. Because of that human connection, because of those relationships, people are learning skills that they can use to better themselves and the community around us. I think one of the keys to prosperity in the area is people going out and chasing those dreams and revitalizing the economy here. Not only am I excited to be able to make positive changes in the community now, but I also want to set up the next generation for success. I think that's what prosperity means for us and WISE. Um, we're looking to build alliances. We are looking to um, grow this into a movement. And, uh, and so, so appreciate, again, the, the time this morning. Um, if any of this inspired you, there's a lot more services these communities need that your companies might be able to offer. Internet coverage, transportation, hospitality, childcare, healthcare, you name it. And so you may have other ideas as well. And so uh, know that as we're growing this strategy, we're accelerating this strategy, we are looking for those strategic alliances. And so if you're interested in any of that, please come see me or any of the folks from Intuit um, here at the conference. Thank you. Um, with that, too, I will hand it to uh, Mariana Iskander, from, CEO from Harambi. Thank you. I hope this morning you can just feel how excited I am actually to be here and to be a part of this. I'm the CEO of an organization called Harambi. We are exactly what our title is, which is a youth employment accelerator based in South Africa. We've provided support to over 700,000 young South Africans. We've worked with 500 private sector companies to really make this idea of impact sourcing real. We do a huge amount of work in this sector because we believe that the jobs that are provided to young people are life-changing for them and their communities. And I really want to repeat what Stacy said. Impact sourcing is about business purpose and business results. It's not about charity. It's not about lower standards. It's not about any of that. And I hope that at the end of this panel, we have really landed that message for you. Before I get into the detail of my presentation, I do want to just stop and say thank you to a few people. Those of us who have been at this movement for a long time, it's really something to be on the main stage here at this conference. I really want to acknowledge Debbie uh, and the work that she's done to really champion this idea. John Yarlett, who has been a champion of talking about impact sourcing in so many spaces, and John Browning, who I really feel like from the early days of your work and meeting you in South Africa. So just can we give them a round of applause? It's really an acknowledgement. So before I get into, I think, really the business results and the business case for impact sourcing, I want to try to bring a few extra voices into the room, the voices of young people, the voices of government partners, the voices of some of our partners who have done this with success. So if we could just show the video.
I was looking for a job for three years. I did the drop off of my CVs um, with no luck because I didn't have uh, qualifications, I didn't have degree, I didn't have job experience. I was depressed and sometimes I could sleep with an empty stomach. If people have got nothing to lose, they've got nothing to lose. Being exposed to Harambi's model and, and what they were doing, I suddenly, it completely resonated with me. So I kind of got into impact sourcing almost by accident. And now there are all these other benefits, but up front I wasn't getting into it because I thought my retention rates were going to be better or anything else. It was, it was just about trying to make a difference. Harambi literally is that ready-for-work environment. They teach you focus, they teach you how to channel your energy, what is it that you need to do when you get into a workplace. We went into impact sourcing for the right reasons social responsibility, but I think we're staying as we well with impact sourcing because the benefits we've seen to our clients' customers as well as the financial benefits. So not only did I get the best customer experience I've ever had in the history of my account, but I've also received the financial gain back into our shareholders as well for bringing 500 Harambees on board. Professor's got a strategic partnership with Harambee Youth Employment Accelerator and with the DTR, and collectively the three parties drive the growth agenda for the sector in South Africa. What's really significant in this is the ability to influence the way in which the sector can contribute to job creation inclusively, and that government and business co-create the sectoral growth plans and the development plans um, that are put together by the parties. As a business person, impact sourcing is not a choice. Impact sourcing is a necessity. With regards to creating an enabling environment, we focus on infrastructure development, skills development, investment promotion, and creating a cost-competitive environment through incentives. The requirements of the incentive encourages companies to employ 80% youth, 20% of those should be focused on unemployed youth, so we encourage 20% of impact sourcing through the incentive program. In the context of the South African global business services sector in South Africa, which is scaling at around 25% per annum, we've had to think of new innovative solutions to scale impact sourcing. When we conceptualized the solution with Vodacom, it was understood that this is a first in the context of our country. How does a private sector organization contract with a social enterprise and entrust a significant percentage of their customer service delivery in the name of impact sourcing. And really that's where the, the Simulation Academy model was born. The benefit we've seen back into the business is an uplift in all of our key metrics. So we've seen a reduction in calls, we've seen the ability to grow our digital footprint, so it's created new opportunities of growth for us that didn't exist previously. And it spoke to what's at the core, how do we deliver the best customer experience possible. We could take those learnings, apply them back into the other business partners we have, and we've seen an overall lift in our state. I've been on Ultron Bytes People's Solution for three months now. This means a lot. It means a lot to me to be employed because now I'm independent, I can take care of myself. So it means a change to my future because I can study further and then I can do whatever that I want to do. So I want to spend just a few minutes on two really quick case studies, and then I want to end by trying to do some myth-busting. Um, 
and give you an opportunity, I think, to understand some of the facts about what's possible with impact sourcing. The, can I get the next slide? I don't know how to get to the next. All right, well, go, go when they more. figure it out, I'll just keep going. Go one the, the, the two things that I wanted to repeat is that business purpose and business results have to be the reasons and the drivers for impact sourcing. And yesterday, we heard in a lot of the sessions that as millennials are taking over our companies, they want answers for what's business purpose. What are we here to do? What are we here to drive? And I think that impact sourcing is a really important answer to that. And I really want to echo what Stacy said. Impact sourcing can happen everywhere. It's about what's right for your business. But then it has to deliver results. This cannot be viewed as something that can't deliver results. However, it can't be done business as usual. And again, if I reflect on a lot of the discussion yesterday, we need business unusual. We have to be thinking differently about how to bring young people into our environment and be able to grow them. I wanted to um, try to bust five myths based on some of what I heard yesterday. South Africa um, has a stand in the other room. It's across the back wall. I really would encourage you to go visit. I went into Google this morning and I typed in distance from Orlando to Manila in the Philippines. And the answer that Google gave me was just over 9,000 miles. I then typed in distance from Orlando to Johannesburg, 8,016 miles. So I think just starting by understanding that there are options globally and it takes actually less time to get there. We have uh, the same number of English language graduates that leave our schooling system every year as the Philippines. We in fact have a provider here who hires South African youth to teach English to people in China. So we're teaching English to other people as well in terms of language. The spectrum of skills is broad and diverse from sales to service, ICT, finance, accounting, legal, HR. And my colleague Andy Searle, who runs our industry association, has written that the secret ingredient to South Africa is our young people. And the story of our young people, the demographic dividend that we have, and having young people who are going to power our economies, and I really think power the global economy. So I want to just close with giving you these two examples. The first is what was referenced in the video. We, as Harambi, were really trying to make a point using evidence. We partnered with Vodacom. We had them bring 10% of a particular call type into our environment for young people with no prior work experience to respond to that call type. The remaining 90% was distributed to many other providers, all of whom used experienced agents. So it was an apples to apples comparison and Vodacom could be the, the arbiter of how everybody was performing. These young people with no prior work experience put in the right enabling environment outperformed on most of the metrics compared to providers who were using more experienced agents. So when buyers come to South Africa and they insist on having people with prior work experience, we're just trying to offer the fact base and the evidence base for what's possible to think about accessing a wider talent pool. The second story actually relates to work we've done with ShopDirect, the largest online retailer in the UK. They decided to do something very brave. They trusted their peak campaign in December, the most stressful time in their business, to a complete impact sourcing strategy. They brought 500 young people to handle their work, and that was something that I thought was courageous, and they've just finished last week an analysis of the results, and they're doubling down next year. It has outperformed on all of the metrics and expectations that they have. So I hope that this session leaves you with a real 
curiosity if you haven't yet explored impact sourcing, momentum if you have and you want to do more, and certainly an opportunity to talk to all my colleagues here from South Africa just to understand what the opportunities are to grow your business and really deal with the questions of business purpose and business results. I'm delighted to hand over to my friend and colleague, Dan, who is also going to talk about, oh, Dan, can I just say one thing? Sure. You'll talk about Kingston, hey? I just want to say that Dan and I had a really nice conversation this morning about bringing facts in to our perceptions about some of these outsourcing destinations, and I felt really um, heartened that you knew exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> Thank you. So Sutherland's a billion-dollar managed service provider. Uh, we offer an array of technologies and uh, expertise uh, to some really great companies uh, around the world. Uh, we go to market with two uh, design labs. One sits in London, the other in uh, San Francisco, a third uh, coming up in Dubai. Uh, we aren't here to talk about uh, the success of our company or about the commercial side of this uh, business. Uh, when Debbie and John called me, they said, Dan, we need somebody who can speak to uh, the provider side. Uh, and I actually think uh, I've been involved with this before day one. Uh, around 2010, uh, our company uh, made a big pivot. Uh, we stepped out of uh, the donation world, out of CSR, all great things, by the way. I'm not here to disparage any of these things. Uh, but we said, there's, there's got to be something more. In those days, we were probably a uh, much smaller company, but we were uh, uh, giving away like $700,000 a year. Today, these would be like Instagram moments, you know, take a picture, hand out some stuff, and everybody feels good. Uh, we have no idea what, what impact uh, we create it. So we have this company with a mission to provide measurable results to clients, but we also have a purpose to impact uh, one family, one life for every employee on payroll. Really easy to do when you're small. When you get up to 30,000, 40,000 people, how do, you, how do you do that? So around 2010, we took on this mission of education intervention, right? Uh, we're running around uh, for uh, Microsoft and other companies uh, going out and uh, certifying people. And, you know, we hit amazing heights. You know, we had like 50,000 people, non-employees, right, that in the communities where we operate. Around uh, 2013, uh, we get invited to, you know, kind of a, a conclave on the shores of... Uh, Lake Cuomo, and I said, this sounds kind of interesting. We're going to talk about impact sourcing. I don't even know what this word means. Uh, and I met some really interesting people. Uh, some of those people are here today. I saw uh, MV uh, from uh, People Shores. Uh, Samasource was uh, there. Uh, Digital Divide. These really unique, high-resolution stories of pure impact sourcing organizations, right? So we come back from this meeting and we say to ourselves, you know, this is like really cool. This is what it's all about. How does a big, large provider emulate 
you know, this really cool story. And in fact, I've seen in the, in the past few years, I've seen all kinds of organizations with different swim lanes and focuses, and it never uh, ceases uh, to amaze me, you know, what people can do. So essentially, we took the, the role of, you know, we can't be a pure social enterprise, right? We're a commercial corporation. We can't take donations and grants and things like that. But can we behave like one? So we sort of rebuilt our model. Instead of, you know, doing activities and, and uh, these kind of things, uh, we built a volunteer army and paid volunteers where we said, hey, let's get our employees involved with these things. Let's go into the communities, uh, adopt schools. Uh, we call them exposure events. Um, uh, just from July to January of this year, uh, we've exposed 25,000 people to our brand, right, through uh, social impact activities. From that group, we've gone and taken the next step, and let's, let's go hire folks, right? They may not have the educational background. They may have a physical, mental capacity, uh, incapacity. But our, our, our real core are 17 to 25-year-olds and single-parent families. And we've picked that as our lane. Um, there are lots of different ways to, you know, effectuate uh, results here. But, you know, I'd like to say we failed for, you know, seven years trying to figure out where that groove was. Uh, and, you know, now that's the one uh, that we're sticking with. So I'm really eager to hear um, from the people in the audience. I did a little uh, survey uh, walk around yesterday, and I saw, you know, so many providers, you know, in the sourcing uh, business. And, you know, it reminded me of an article I read uh, by a, a guy, a guy named Dershowitz, but not the Alan Dershowitz. A guy named Mike Dershowitz. I don't know if he's uh, involved with this organization. Uh, but this guy went out and said, hey, the sourcing industry alone has done more job creation uh, than software companies, automotive, steel, and a whole bunch of other industries. So just by the very nature that there's providers that are setting up in certain uh, locations, we're moving that ball pretty fast. The way I see the impact sourcing definition is you're just taking that to the next step. You're picking some set of people and you're trying to raise uh, the base of the pyramid. So, um, you know, I, I hope that discussion comes around to, you know, how do providers get into this? And uh, I want to thank everybody for having me here today. Thank you. Yeah. So now uh, Namita is joining us from the World Bank uh, to talk about solutions for youth employment. Thank you, Dan. Um, morning, everyone. Uh, just wonderful to be here this morning. Uh, thank you so much, Debbie, for inviting me. Um, my name is Namita Datta, and I work at the World Bank. I'm based in Washington, D.C., um, and I'm uh, the global head of an initiative that's called Solutions for Youth Employment. Um, the World Bank, uh, you might know, is, is, a, is a large development organization. It's part of the UN family, and we have two goals. 
One is to reduce poverty, and the other is to promote shared prosperity. We are across in several countries, about 170, 180 countries. Our focus is on the developing world, uh, developing countries. And, and um, we work on several parts of the development agenda. Um, so water, sanitation, power, um, uh, but jobs is really one of the most fundamental areas where more and more governments are turning to us for advice. And we usually go in with uh, supporting governments with financial resources, uh, large amounts of money uh, that we give to governments. Uh, but also we package it with a lot of policy advice, um, technical advice on regulations that they need to put in place, uh, and also a lot of solid analytical work that, that underpins some of the work that we do. Um, one of the areas that governments have been reaching out to us more and more is this agenda of, of youth employment. Uh, it's persistent. It doesn't go away. Um, and we know, uh, and, and I think lots, lots of our speakers talked about it, we know that that the fundamental pathway out of poverty, and a lot of research now shows this, the fundamental pathway out of poverty for households is an access to a job. So it is really transformational. Now, we also know that this is not something that we as the World Bank can do alone. So it was with that spirit that we put together this global program that's called Solutions for Youth Employment. Uh, it has different donors, it has foundations, private companies, um, NGOs, uh, and also young people themselves who are now part of our governing body as well. So when we set this up, the first question that we asked ourselves was, let's not rush into a strategic plan. Let's first look at decades of experience, our own experience, but also experience um, of other development organizations, NGOs, different organizations that are doing youth employment programs. And let's ask ourselves, what have we learned? I mean, frankly, we've put in a lot of money, a lot of intellectual capital, but I'm not sure we've moved the needle on youth employment so far. I mean, it is just, just persistent. So what's going on? So luckily for us, in the last five, six years, there have been a ton of rigorous impact evaluations, which give you quantitative numbers. Mariana spoke about um, some of those that her organization has been involved with, which is why we are big fans of Harambi, by the way. Um, so we looked very carefully at rigorous evidence coming out of youth employment programs and said, okay, what's going on? We looked at about 106, one by one by one, in different countries across the world. And actually, the message to us was really bleak. Only one-third out of all youth employment programs run by different types of organizations. So it's not just about the, the organization, but it's about just how we do youth employment. Only one-third had had any impact. Actually, two-thirds had zero impact. And even those that had any impact on youth employment, the impact was really small and it was very short-lived. So, and this explains why I am such a big fan of what um, Debbie does and what the International Association here does, and also that explains why I'm a big fan of impact sourcing. Because this evidence gathering taught us, so we, when we looked at it a little bit deeply, why is it that we are not moving the needle? It's because when we say we are doing a youth employment program, 
typically in the development world, it means we are just doing training. Now, training is fundamental. It is important. Don't get me wrong. It is really important, but it is a small piece of the puzzle. It's only a piece of the puzzle. It's not the full puzzle. Because what we often forget, and my organization is guilty of, of doing that too, we think we roll out the best training program in the world, we, we put these young people out there, and there we've solved the problem, the youth employment problem. But actually, that's only, as I said, part of the problem. The other problem is what we nerd, nerdy economists in the World Bank call the demand side. And that's actually all of you. The demand side, which is really a robust private sector that's growing and creating the jobs that then the supply side, which is the, the training programs, can then train people that go find those jobs. But if you're not going to focus on the demand side, if you're not going to see what you can do to make companies grow and grow in the right way, uh, you're not going to be able to, you can do the best training program, but you're not going to be able to solve the youth employment problem. So the big thing for us, and, and of course we learned a lot of minor design things as we went along in this evidence work. One thing clear, a youth employment program is more likely to be successful if it involves the private sector, number one. Number two, it is more likely to be successful if it uses performance-based grants. Number three, it is more likely to be successful if you build in strong m and &E. I mean, there are, I could go on. I don't think you're interested in some of those design-type insights that we gathered. But for us, the most important thing is this partnership with the private sector, and which is why um, our whole program is built on two pillars, innovation and number two, knowledge. And in innovation, we've now built a very big community of practice of organizations that are actually doing very interesting, innovative things. Harambi is one of them. Uh, but we've reached out and, and, and we're really watching closely what is the new thing that's happening in the way uh, uh, organizations are designing their youth employment program. But the big frontier for us is how do we work more closely with the private sector? And this goes all the way from thinking, what does the private sector need to grow? How can we, what can we do to address those constraints? Maybe it's access to credit, maybe it's access to, to, to capacity, maybe it's access to markets, maybe there are some regulations. So how do we unlock that? And then how do we make sure that youth have the right skills to be able to fill those jobs? So we are really working on these win-win type solutions, which is why I'm here today, which is why I, I really think that this whole impact sourcing model is a win-win it, it, it can be potentially transformational. So we're thinking, uh, so one of the new things, and thanks to Debbie uh, and, and some of you in the room, we've now recently, this year at the World Bank's annual meetings, we launched a big private sector council. Um, there are about 30, 35 companies that have already joined us. Um, and we are trying to find some interesting dynamic models where it makes business sense it's not simply CSR. CSR is really good to, to try things that usually are not tried. But then it needs to make business sense. So what are those kinds of models? Impact sourcing is one of them, but we are looking very closely also at looking at an entire value chain um, and building coalitions around it. I can talk more maybe later. I'm not sure I have the time to go into some of those models that we are looking at. 
but, but really to say that, that you're onto something really transformational here. And, and for us, this is at the heart of one of the biggest development challenges that we are trying to solve and haven't been successful so far. But, but, I, think, but I think that's why I'm very, very um, eager to hear from some of you in terms of what you're thinking, uh, what might be those new potential solutions in the different corners of the world that you are all from. Thank you. Can we go back one slide, please? There we go. So in order for impact sourcing to be successful and scalable, it's not just enough to have a, a labor force uh, to fill these jobs. It's very important to have them trained and prepared to be successful. Because we realize, even though impact sourcing has been going for many, many years, uh, it's still in its infancy for mainstream adoption, and which every one of you in this audience can help change today. Uh, so IOP is partnering with Global Mentorship Initiative to make mentoring opportunities available to every one of you uh, to have a small part in impact sourcing personally, to provide mentoring to a student in an underserved community in either the United States or South Africa uh, to help them get prepared for their first career job in impact mm -hmm. sourcing. Uh, and we target specifically college students in their final year of their four-year degree, and the intent is to help to close the business skills gap so that when they get their first career job, they hit the ground running. Uh, additionally, we, it's a planned curriculum uh, that anybody, uh, anyone in this room can be a very successful mentor. Uh, we teach them skills about how to build a business network, how to use LinkedIn to find jobs, uh, and to make themselves findable. And in fact, uh, recruiters are now going to our students and seeking them out because of the, the, uh, impact, the, the LinkedIn profiles that we've helped them build. We teach them how to, how to interview well, how to get that job, uh, polishing their resume and CV with keywords, and how to work in an international business, which is exactly what we need, especially for international impact sourcing efforts. So uh, we have over 500 students right now waiting for good mentors, like every one of you in the audience. And if this is something that you're interested in, please uh, check us out the globalmentorship.org website you can send me a note on LinkedIn, and I'm glad to send you more information about it. So before we uh, uh, go to the panel, I do want to remind everybody, encourage everybody to join the IAOP Social Responsibility and Outsourcing chapter today. There's a link there, uh, and there's also a, a LinkedIn group as well where you can share ideas and thoughts as well. So I encourage everybody to do that. So let's... Uh, Let's go to some questions for the panel. I, I'm so glad to be part of this panel group because everybody here has had a direct contribution to making this grow in our industry. Uh, and we'll kick it off with a few questions. Be thinking about questions, and soon I'll, I'll ask for people to raise their hand to ask questions. Uh, Namita, let's start with you. How does the World Bank work with the private sector uh, to, to uh, create these jobs for spe specifically for youth? So I mentioned that this uh, during our annual meetings, we um, we created uh, we had several companies come forward 
these are really thought leaders, some of them here uh, in this space. Um, and we wanted to develop a program that is collaborative in the sense it's not just we decide what we want to do, but together, because it's, it's, it's a shared agenda. Um, some ideas that we think um, we are going to now um, support. One, of course, I mean, there was this, this uh, big thing from the private sector saying, uh, just at the level of sharing of best practices, can, we, can the World Bank create a platform where we are simply just talking to each other and, and learning what is new, what is innovative, can we just learn from each other? So that is one. The second... The private sector, uh, the feedback they gave us is, uh, they said, um, frankly, one of the problems we face is that the kids, the youth who are coming out of public training institutions are just not employable. They don't have the kind of skills that we are looking for. Mm -hmm. So if there was something we could do to address that um, problem, that would really solve some of our constraints. So working together with the private sector in reforming public TVET institutions is one thing on the agenda. Mm -hmm. The other is that we are also trying to work with the private sector, as I said, taking a value chain approach, but also helping larger companies, which is where I think the leadership needs to come from, helping larger companies work with some of their own smaller suppliers, building capacity so that they can provide the mentoring that you mentioned. And also the other thing we see that is really important is apprenticeship opportunities because young people sometimes don't know what it means to show up to work uh, and have the soft skills to be in a workplace. So apprenticeship opportunities are really important and is also a low risk way in which the private sector can can provide these first-time um, experiences to youth. Um, but also, I think where we need to come in in a big way is really at the smaller industry level. So to the larger companies, are some of you are already doing the right thing. Uh, but it's the smaller SMEs who often lack the capacity to provide training or think about things like this, where I think we as the World Bank can play a role and support that element of the private sector. Mm, yes. I mean, we can, I can go on and on about this, yeah. but, but those are some ideas that we are going to support. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, Stacy, uh, it's so impressive what Intuit is doing with impact sourcing specifically in the United States. Kiting said an example that you don't have to do this, uh, you don't have to start anywhere in the world except right here in the U.S. to create good jobs. And I've always thought that the best thing that all of our buyers in the audience could do to start with impact sourcing is just add that one question to their RFP. How will your company use impact sourcing to support my business? Uh, and, and I want to know, you know, your experience with suppliers and how are you prioritizing it with suppliers? How important is that type of question? Yeah, um, we've got a set of strategic um, partners that we work with and um, we have some key metrics and key initiatives that we all tackle together as an ecosystem. Impact sourcing mm -hmm. is one of the things that is a top priority for us and therefore one of the things that we're regularly discussing with, with all of our um, strategic partners. And so it's been great to see all of the energy that they have. Every time they hear a new hub is coming, um, you know, we have so much interest involved and, and they're really of like mind yes. uh, with us in that. Excellent, excellent, yes. Uh, uh, Mariana, I think, first of all, Everyone here in the audience, when you go to South Africa to check out BPO options, and I know every one of you will, 
But when you do, you must stop and see one of the Harambee centers located in the different cities in South Africa. Because for me, it was just about a life-changing experience to see how, first of all, how enthusiastic young people are for job training skills and the promise of an opportunity to go after a job as a qualified candidate. And so I so admire the work that you're doing there. And, and it, it feels really good to visit your site. And it, it seems like it's almost too good to be true. But I'm sure there are some challenges. Yeah, so I mean, for me, if you think about any business initiative that's intended to drive value for your organization, you have to take it seriously in that way. Does it have the right level of sponsorship at the senior level? Has there been enough change management done so people really understand what's coming in? We have found that actually who the team leaders are or the managers that are gonna take on those candidates often is the most important decision. Are these people who really want this to succeed? And so for me, I don't know why impact sourcing would be done any differently in terms of this is a lever for business value. And mm -hmm. if I listen to Stacy and I listen to Dan, it's like these are businesses that take this seriously, not as a side project, but treat it the way they would treat anything that they feel like is going to really deliver for their business. And so I feel like we have learned some hard lessons. If a, if a business really thinks impact sourcing is like a quick plug for a quick problem, it's probably not going to work. Mm -hmm. And if you pick the kind of wrong team, you don't do enough change management, I'm sure somebody will find a reason to say this doesn't work. I feel like trying to get as much subjectivity out of it and really saying what are the objective measures that we're gonna focus on has been the key to success for a lot of the businesses I, I can see in the audience. And I think really the last point, which is a truth, so I do wanna, I can't think of an, a, an example where we partnered with a company on impact sourcing and everything worked perfectly the first time. It just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Neither does, that doesn't happen with most other business right. initiatives either. So you have to have a bit of a medium term view on this to say, what is it gonna take once we learn what doesn't work? Make sure our metrics are clear, stay focused on those metrics, make sure we're doing enough change management to bring, and, and, and senior sponsorship, I would say, certainly for any initiative that's driving change is really, really critical. Yeah. So I feel like it's pretty common sense, but it's just how do you really treat impact sourcing for what I believe it can be, which is a lever to really drive business value. Right, right, yes. Dan, you and Sutherland have been part of impact sourcing really from its beginning. And so now I'm going to ask you to give away a little of your secret sauce as a provider. How, how do you use impact sourcing as a differentiator over your competition? Uh, good, good question. Uh, not an easy answer. Um, first, I r realized this is probably the one area where I see more uh, collaboration across industry players than anything else. I mean, companies that compete commercially for the same uh, business uh, will uh, be collaborating the next week on how uh, to move uh, the needle. I've not met uh, one person uh, who has led uh, a client pursuit with, hey, we're doing impact sourcing. In fact, I talked to CEO of Concentrix and his view was, it's our moral and ethical obligation to do this. We, and he has over like 4,000 impact workers, right? He's not out there uh, advertising this. Mm -hmm. There is uh, an inside effect, which I think is a very sustainable competitive advantage and also a halo. Uh, in, the, in, in a lot of these industries, you have 
uh, 18-month tenures, where we notice that uh, the median tenure of our folks that have come from a slightly different background, I don't like the word impact worker, uh, if they come from a different background, uh, longer uh, median tenure, mm -hmm. okay? Much, kind of to your point about, you know, just giving a job to somebody isn't enough or just giving training. Folks really value the job. There's a second layer to that halo. The people involved inside the company are at our company because we give them the opportunity to do this. Very different effect than we ever experienced. Meaning, uh, I could go to uh, Bogota, Colombia, and find people who are, you know, this isn't, this wasn't what they set out to do with a career. They wanted to be a college professor or a teacher, but they get the opportunity to directly vitalize communities, something we never thought of. So on the whole human resource value chain, huge competitive advantage there. As a leading edge for a commercial um, deal, so to speak, I think I've had one where a person said, the main criteria here is you have to have a certain percentage of impact workers. Other than that, it's uh, more part of the DNA of the company than a, uh, a competitive uh, secret. A lot of collaboration across players as well. I think that, I don't know if I answered your question, mm -hmm. but hopefully I gave you some information. Yes, yes, um, you, hit, you hit a very important point there. Less attrition, a higher median uh, tenure of work, and we know that in our industry, uh, the longer people stay, the more proficient they get. And so we, uh, we commissioned a study with Everest a few years back that actually found that impact workers stay on the job longer and because that became, they become more proficient at their job, which is exactly what you want in an industry like ours. Uh, so at this point, I'm going to see if there's any questions. I think there might be a microphone floating around. We have a few more questions ourselves for the panel. I'd love to have your input right now, though, if there are questions. Yeah, I just had a quote for maybe for Harambe. Uh, wondering, have you invested in like longitudinal studies, or do you plan to to track the youth that you're bringing through your enterprise and, and where they go with their careers afterwards? I'd be curious to see. Uh, obviously, there might not be enough in terms of time actually for a longitudinal study as of now. But if those are in the works, I'd be curious to see how these people, you know, their careers play out in five to ten years, and and what kind of tracking you're planning on doing with that. I'll give you a quick answer and then I'm happy to talk later. We do a ton of that. So we engage in formal studies like with the World Bank. We do randomized control trials with universities and research institutes because we feel it's important to actually provide data on what's happening and make sure that I think really to your point, things that are working are invested in. But in addition to that, we actually send a survey to the 700,000 young people that we see every three months so that mm -hmm. we can track what these employment journeys are for young people. And I think we've got a lot of very powerful stories at the kind of individual level, but quite a lot of data at the macro. But I'm happy to talk about that more later. Other questions from the audience? There's one in the back there, way in the back. Okay. Good morning. Hi, I'm Shiro from Cape Town, South Africa, CoLab. Um, yesterday in our breakaway session, one of the comments that was made by, I'm not going to mention his name, if he's here, he knows who he is, was that um, once procurement gets involved, impact sourcing flies out by the window because no disrespect to anybody from procurement, procurement purchases pencils. Now, how do we make sure 
that the concept of impact sourcing filters down to procurement where those decisions get made. Is there somebody specific you want to address the question to? Not really. Anybody <laughs> on the panel? <laughs> um, I, I'll take a stab. Yeah. Um, so for us, it's, it's actually um, the strategic leadership that is making decisions on the the sourcing um, and, and procurement does it on our behalf. Um, but if you can start with the benefits, and you were just mentioning some of them, John, um, about the business benefits that it can drive, um, we actually have seen it have, have accretive business benefits too. So, um, you know, when you have better experiences that translate to the actual bottom line profitability, in customer conversion rates, retention rates, um, you know, f first call resolutions, things like that, uh, the, the attrition benefit, um, there's a real financial benefit as well. And so um, we, we have, to some of the point that Mary Anna made, um, you gotta be intentional about it. Uh, and so you don't wanna get ahead of your skis because mm -hmm. the last things you wanna do is um, put out impact sourcing and then have to pull it back, mm -hmm. right? So you want to do it deliberately and intentionally, but um, we have a ton of support from the top of the house um, at Intuit, and, and that's made all the difference. Yeah. John? Oh, a question up front here. Thank you so much for this panel. It is very exciting to see impact sourcing in the main hall. Uh, my name is Rita Sony, and I am on the Global Impact Sourcing Coalition's steering committee. And so, Stacy, I had a question for you. It's great to see how impact sourcing perfectly fits into the Intuit mission. And I think in these days of purpose-driven missions, um, there are a lot of missions where it would fit, but we struggle with attracting companies and leadership to see that exact fitment. Everybody's outsourcing, but they don't necessarily see the fit. So some hints on how to make that happen. Yeah, um, and, and part of it, honestly, so thank you for the question, um, and that's why we're here, and we're trying to get more public with our story. So while we've only been at it for a few years, you know, with the Prosperity Hub, um, you know, we know other experts in our network at large also are in distressed communities, for example, and so we're trying to shine a light on um, the stories that we're telling and in the audiences, the forums that, that we attend and tell this story more publicly that, that um, it's not the charity, it's the, it's the business and it's great for communities and it gets a flywheel going that can impact other industries as well. And so, you know, my, when I was closing um, my individual comments too, it's, it's that alliances piece we're really serious about that. Like we, we really want to get some other industries, to your point, to see that this is something that they should really um, put their toe in the water and, and maybe, you know, jump in uh, with us too because we've seen that success. But I think it takes all of us to start um, bringing those stories and the metrics around it to life. So um, I'll say one more thing that that like the dollar fifty nine and you know some of the the metrics that you saw, those are all. Um, from third-party verifications because we want to stand behind our numbers and, and have those be believable because um, the stories that we're telling and the metrics that we're sharing are, are things we're hoping that you all can take back and grab onto as well. Great. Fantastic. And I think we're about out of time, but I do, I do want to say that 
to learn more about this and get perspectives of some other companies, at 3 o'clock there is a breakout session in room Coral A on social responsibility and outsourcing. And now you're going to hear from four additional companies, including Facebook and Sprint and some other providers who are going to talk about how impact sourcing and general social responsibility fits into a business a G, a BPO strategy. So Coral A at 3 o'clock, I encourage you to go to that. I just want to say thank you so much. I, I hope that you've taken away some principles and ideas that you can adopt in your business. I know any of us would love to chat with you or have a follow-up discussion at any time. So. Thank you very much. Thank you.